to see how that presence, when developed, when full in any moment, is not separate, not different from the quality of love. That when we are fully meeting, present, allowing, connected to something, it's in itself flavored, imbued with the quality of love. And when that happens, then our practice, our mindfulness practice, our meditation practice, uh, has much greater depth, capacity, effectiveness, power, strength, (coughs) kindness, compassion, So traditionally in Buddhist teaching, uh, one analogy for the path is that uh, there's two wings of the the path is is like the bird in flight with two wings, the wings of uh, wisdom and awareness and the wisdom and the, the wing of compassion and love. And we need both wings, otherwise the bird flaps around in a circle. So we need both of those balanced qualities of wisdom and awareness, wakefulness, presence, and the the heart qualities, love, compassion, kindness, tenderness, to be able to move through this world effectively with awareness and clarity and goodness, kindness. And um, as we walk any spiritual path, that will become obvious that we need a lot of presence, a lot of attention, a lot of awareness to know ourselves, to know the truth, to know life, to understand what we're doing here, how to be in this world. And we also meet, when we do that, we meet the difficulty of being in this world. We meet the struggle, we meet the pains, we meet the losses, we meet the, the, the... challenge of being in a body that ages and gets sick and being in a relationship that's often testing our hearts and uh, being in a world that's being degraded and, and polluted. So, we, so it becomes inevitable that, we, that, we, that that journey needs to be buoyed and supported uh, with the quality of kindness, tenderness, warmth, to, let, to meet that, otherwise it's overwhelming, otherwise it's too painful. So one definition I like from the Zen tradition, when they ask what enlightenment is, the response is it's an appropriate response. It's an appropriate response to the moment. So I often think of uh, practice, when I say practice, I mean everything that we do through our meditation, through our inner work, is the, exp- the culmination of that is the, um, the movement in the world that's appropriate. It's a response. We meet what is and we respond appropriately. We don't avoid, we don't try to get rid of, not chasing after things endlessly and futilely. So today I'll be exploring and it will be the practices of mindfulness. So 
is the basis for Vipassana practice, insight practice. And the practices of, of the heart, the Brahma Viharas, as the Buddha taught them, the loving kindness practice, the compassion practice, see how they work and how they um, inform each other. And as, as and they're taught, there's, there's many different practices that, that develop both of those qualities. And yet at the same time, they move towards a unity. So our loving kindness practice becomes a wisdom practice and our mindfulness practice becomes a heartful practice, a heartful meditation. So there's a line from the um, Sikh Zen patriarch that I like a lot. He was one of the founders of Chan Buddhism in China. And he said, awareness is the foundation of kindness. He said, do not think awareness and kindness as two separate things. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. Kindness is the expression of awareness. Awareness is the foundation of kindness. So without being aware, and there's been a lot of research being done now on how attention and mindfulness is the basis of compassion and empathy. So Danny Goldman talks a lot about this in one of his books, that um, without self-awareness, without knowing what our own inner experience, we can't really know, we can't sense and feel and empathize and have compassion for another because we don't know it from the inside. As we deepen our awareness of what it's like to be in a human body and in a heart in this life, we can't but have more compassion because we see how tender and vulnerable and challenging it is to be a human being. Anybody not find being a human being challenging and vulnerable (laughs) and tender? (laughs) And we keep having this idea like, oh, if only I get my life together somehow, then it will be like smooth sailing. You know, and, and we get caught by that. I just, you know, just fix this relationship. Or I just get my money shit sorted out. I just, you know, something. And I get more organized, clean out my closets, you know. Then, you know, it'll be, it'll be smoother, you know. But human life isn't like that. It's, you know, we're these, you know, complex, vulnerable, sensitive, beautiful beings of bodies and hearts and minds and plans and wishes and goals and disappointments and losses and visions and and it's like this cacophony you know of movement of this dynamic it's beautiful and it's also not so easy sometimes yeah our inner life or outer life gets challenging you know our relationship life or, or we experience deep losses or disappointments or insecurities or mental health challenges or you know it's, it's, the list of things. It's amazing that we function at all, frankly. <laughs> you know? and it's amazing that the body stays healthy when you see how just have the slightest you know, shift in a chemical in the body, some imbalance in the thyroid or in boom, and your life's completely derailed. It's amazing that we, that we function as well as we do. You know? and organize the perception in this, myriad, in this very complex world. Brain sorts out all this stuff, you know, makes sense of me talking. It's not just blah, blah, blah. or maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> That's okay too. <laughs> so, um, 
also a story. This is um, about a mom shopping with her young kid in the supermarket. Talk about potential for suffering. (laughs) (laughs) A man observed a woman in the grocery store with a three-year-old girl in her shopping cart. As they passed the cookie section, the little girl asked for cookies and her mother told her no. The little girl immediately began to whine and fuss, and the mother said quietly, Now, Monica, we just have half of the aisles to go through. Don't be upset. It won't be long before we leave. Soon they came to the candy aisle, and of course the little girl began to shout for candy, and when told she couldn't have any, she began to cry. And the mother said, There, there, Monica, don't cry. Only two more aisles, and then we'll go to the checkout. When they got to the checkout stand, the little girl immediately began to clamor for gum and burst into a terrible tantrum upon discovering there'd be no gum purchased. The mother patiently said, Monica, we'll be through this checkout stand in five minutes, and then you can go home and we'll take a nice nap. (laughs) The man followed them out to the parking lot and stopped the woman to compliment her. I couldn't help noticing how patient you were with little Monica, he began. Whereupon the mother said, What do you mean? My little girl's name's Tammy. I'm Monica. (laughs) So all the parents out there will (laughs) resonate with that story. So I love that story. It's so beautiful. It's so human. You know, we have to... And that's that's a, a lovely expression of this quality I'm pointing to of meeting experience with presence. She's very attentive. Now, Monica. (laughs) It's only three more aisles. (laughs) And it's kind. Yeah, it's, it's, it has a little flavor of kindness and patient. It's yielding, it's soft. And it has a lot of wisdom. You know, like that's a very stressful situation for a lot of people. So you can take that as a metaphor, right? All the different places that you, as Monica, right? You're at work and your boss is yelling you or giving you a bad review or you're stuck in traffic and someone's flipping you off or your neighbor's party's going on till three in the morning or, you know, just the, just the litany of things that could, you know, jar you and be challenging. And how do you meet that, you know? Or the times that you mess up, the times that you, you know, forget, you know, beloved's birthday or you, you know, wake up tired and grumpy and you yell at somebody in Starbucks because your coffee's not coming quick enough and you, you know, it's that feeling of guilt or shame or... How do you meet that? You know, so this practice today, and I use this word meet a lot. How do you meet this? How do you meet yourself? How do you meet your aching body? How do you meet your lonely heart? How do you meet this beautiful green moss on the trees? How do you meet the simplicity of the breath? How do you meet the crazy monkey mind that can't? Stay still for more than two breaths, two seconds. How do you meet that? Because that's really the rub of the. That's really the rub of our lives, the rub of our practice. How do you meet that? Is 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 the is 
the metaphor and the reality of how you meet everything, right? How you meet your aching back, yeah, or the sadness, is likely how you'll meet other things, other people, when, you, when, you, when you're with somebody else who's sad or in pain or feeling lonely, yeah? So, so meditation, mindfulness, is the mirror. It, it reflects us back. We can't hide. You, know, you close your eyes, and there you are sitting with yourself for half an hour, and you, and you can't help but see the way you are and the way you relate to things. It's kind of humbling. <laughs> but we learn through looking. It's a very honest uh, assessment, taking stock. And of course, it changes. You know, some days you feel really balanced and calm and open, present. Other times you just like, do not do anything. <laughs> Life, <laughs> leave me alone today. <laughs> so, um, so it takes a lot of fluidity and dexterity to meet, to meet fluidly who we are, where we are, how life is, what life brings, right? There's no one cookie-cutter, okay, I'm going to be... You know, and we sometimes feel like that. We get, you know, we have a great meditation. Like, okay, now I'm just set. I'm just. This is how it's going to be. I'm just going to be really mellow and calm, and you know, and then we get one lousy phone message, and we've lost it, you know, or something. One email from left field. So I like to think about what comprises a moment of mindfulness and what comprises a moment of love and to see, compare them. Right? So if you take a moment of mindfulness, this simple attention to the moment, right? You're present, open. You have to be open to be mindful. You have to be receptive. You're receiving what's coming, non-judgmental non-interfering, it's not fixing, not changing, just being with. There's this quality of interest, you have to be connected, curious. Um, there's some quality of patience or ability to be with. And a lot of those qualities are present in a moment of love. Yeah? There's, you, can't be in, in, you can't be loving anything without connection, without attention, without curiosity, without allowing it to be as it is, without judging it, without fiddling and fixing it. That's not love, that's something else. Um, allowing many, many qualities are the same. Yeah? The quality of love lean, has a quality of leaning forward in a way, of, of warm, it has more warmth to it, you could say, more affection, more um, yeah. So there's, you know, there's, there, are, there are some differences, but there's a lot of similarity in these two qualities. And I want you to pay attention to that when you're sitting. What's the quality, what's the quality of love in the attention? Right? Is it there? Is it cold? Is it indifferent? Is it, or is there a warmth there? Is there a softness? Is there a yielding? Is there a patience? Is there a kindness in the attention? Or is it like, ah, there's my knee pain. Ah, those damn thoughts. Ah, and that person coughing again. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Just want to feel my breath. Ah, 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 ah. 
really present. <laughs> I'm just hating it. <laughs> so that doesn't serve anything, right? It doesn't serve anything. It's just tight, right? We're not cultivating tightness. We're cultivating relaxed, easeful presence. Yeah? Warm, generous. So on this topic, I'd like to quote one of my favorite teachers, Joanna Macy, who has this great line. She says, the Dharma path, Dharma is a word for the teachings, Buddhist practice, whatever. The Dharma truth, Dharma path strikes me as profoundly erotic, which is not commonly associated with Buddhism. Um, Buddhism teaches us to pay attention, and if you mindfully put your attention on anything, you find love arising for whatever it is. Anything, you put your attention on it and it reveals itself to you. And the poet Mary Oliver puts it this way. She says, there is nothing in this world if I can pay attention to long enough that doesn't cease to foster wonder and love. If there is something, I haven't found it yet. So that's a beautiful way of putting it. If When we turn our attention to something and we're really fully present to a bird or a song or a child or sunlight or a teapot, you know, or our toenail, or, you know, our sadness, or, you know, the wrinkles, you know, in our face, you know. If you're really fully present without the small mind, thinking mind that's comparing and judging and trying to improve all, without that mind, we're just really attentive, right? There's 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 an affection that grows, there's a tenderness, you know. And in our quieter moments, you know, not in our busyness, you know, we can happen when we're busy, but usually it takes a quieter sort of presence. Like on a day like this, or on a meditation retreat, or when you're in nature, that comes more easily. You know, we, get a, we get an intimation of that. You know. When we're not stressed, there's some time, and we're really more present to people around us. Or... So that's possible. So we'll be looking at that, how that unfolds. We'll be looking at what gets in the way of that. So this is from the novelist Henry Miller, who writes, he took up painting later in life, down when he was down living in Big Sur. There's a gallery down there that has some of his work. He says, I remember well the transformation which took place in me when I first began to view the eye, the world with the eyes of a painter. The most familiar and things and objects which I gazed at all my life now became an unending source of wonder, and with wonder, of course, affection. A teapot, an old hammer, a chipped cup, whatever came to hand, I looked upon it as if I'd never seen it before. To paint is to love again, to live again, and to see again. So that metaphor is the same for meditation. To meditate is to love again, to live again, and see again. So with meditation, with mindfulness, we're cultivating this quality of beginner's mind, which is to see the world like through a child's perspective, through fresh perspective to see it as it is, rather than our, our old story or views about it. 
and when we when we're really present like that, there's 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 wonder. You know? I always wanted to make one of those bumper stickers. You know, those bumper stickers that say, if you're not enraged, you're not paying attention. I want to write one. If you're not in wonder, you're not paying attention. You know, if you're not really fully present, you know, it's like this world is just look out the window. It's like a marvel. It's a mystery. It's beautiful. It's these flowers and these carvings and anything we pay attention to long enough. I was in uh, Costa Rica recently teaching and um, uh, I had a scorpion in my bedroom, a nice, big, fat, juicy brown one. And um, I couldn't help but feel affection for it. <laughs> Just doing its thing, you know. Don't touch me or I'll get you, you know. It's, it's, you know, it's doing its thing. Beautiful in its own way. Didn't want it in my bed. Didn't really want it in my bedroom, but there it was. Probably didn't want me in its house, you know. So how do we meet this moment? How do we meet life? This is from Byron Katie, who has a wonderful way of talking about um, meeting what is with a lot of presence. So she's cooking in the kitchen, and uh, she writes, Just when I think that life is so good and it can't get any better, the phone rings and life gets better. How often do we think, oh, the, the phone's <laughs> ringing, my life just got better. Oh, groan, who is calling now? Some telemarketer. I love that music. As I walk towards the phone, there's a knock at the door. Who could it be? <laughs> I walk towards the door filled with the given, the fragrance of vegetables, the sound of the phone, and I haven't done anything for it. I trip and fall. The floor is so unfailingly there. That's, that's, that's not a thought we have when we trip over. <laughs> I experience its texture, its security, its lack of complaint. In fact, it's the opposite. It gives its entire self to me. I feel its coolness as I lie on it. <coughs> Obviously, it was time for a little nap. <laughs> the floor accepts me unconditionally and holds me without impatience. As I get up, it doesn't say, come back, come back, you're deserting me, you're ungrateful, you owe me. <laughs> you didn't thank me. No, it's just like me. It does its job. It is what it is. The fist knocks, the phone rings, the salad waits, the floor lets go of me. Life is good. <laughs> so that's what happens when our ordinary thinking, busy, reactive mind, egoic mind is, is not operating, which would be, oh my God, you're such a klutz. I can't believe you fell over. I hope nobody saw. Get up. You're so stupid. Blah, 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 blah. Right? That's just contraction, contraction. Negativity, negativity, and who knows why you were on the floor. <laughs> so, so with mindfulness, we get to see why that doesn't happen. Right? That could be. It's a possibility. Right? Clearly, it's a possibility. Someone's done their work. It's a possibility. But normally, there's more reactivity. There's more resistance to things that we don't want. 
There's more rejection of things we don't like. There's more keeping all that stuff at bay. Yeah, so we get to look at that. We get to, you know, the, 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 the practice, these teachings revealing where do we suffer? How do we suffer? Why do we suffer? What, what's going on? You know? Why, because somebody's breathing really loudly next to us or coughing during a nice quiet meditation, why is that a problem? Sometimes, and sometimes it's not a problem, but often it is a problem. God, if they only just shut up, I could meditate. <laughs> They just stop breathing, I'd be fine. <laughs> you know, if only my neighbor, you know, at home, if only my neighbors would shut that dog up, you know, I'd be happy. God damn it. So we contract, we, you know, there's tightness, there's resistance, reactivity. So I want, to I want to invite you and invite that part of you to be curious. Like, what causes the contraction here? What causes the tightness? What causes the, re the resistance? Right? What closes the heart? Where does fear get stimulated? Where does reactivity come? to bring as loving a presence to that as anything else. You know, it's kind of easy to sort of feel lovey-dovey when you're walking through the field and it's beautiful and it's spring and it's, you know, it's not spring, but it feels like spring today. Um, harder when, when we're feeling, when there's some turmoil inside, right? <coughs> but that's where we grow. That's that's the that's the. As Leonard Cohen says, "In the crack in the heart, it's with what lets the light in." Right? So that's the rich territory we want to be exploring. And we'll be using the practices of kindness as a way to soften the, the hard rigidity of, of the reactive mind. So one of the ways I like to, to, um, to look at the practice of matter of loving-kindness, practice of love, is to understand it as an attitude an attitude, an orientation of how you, how you are, what, how you, what you bring to the moment. Yeah. So it's a quality, it's a state, it's a feeling, but it's also an attitude. Yeah. How do you meet this? Just like the story of Byron Katie, she's meeting that with love. Yeah. There's no reactivity. It's just, oh, here's what is. Oh, cool. Phone call. The cool floor. So, and with practice, we, we practice inclining our mind. The Buddha said, whatever we incline our mind towards, whatever we frequently ponder upon, dwell upon, think of that the mind becomes. So we are what we practice. We're creatures of habit. Right? So how, whatever we practice, we are. 
So we all think a lot. So guess what? We think a lot. <laughs> we practice, you know, running after what we want and hating what we don't want. So guess what? We spend our life running and avoiding. So, and in Dharma teachings are saying with the power of intention, we can transform ourselves by having the intention to live imbued with certain values and qualities like presence, like kindness, which of course is a practice, just like with our New Year's resolutions that we've probably all broken now many times. Right? With intentions, you know, we make intention, make intention to be present, say, meditating. And th- two and a half breaths later, you know, we're back at the office having an argument with one of our colleagues, and we lost for 10 minutes. And then that re- intention resurfaces. Oh, yeah, meditation, spirit rock, okay. Zen. <laughs> it's so nice to be here. Breath, breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. I wonder how my mom's doing. You know, she wasn't really well last time I called. <laughs> Ten minutes with mom. I just talked to my mom, so my mom's on my mind. <laughs> um, it's like that. So, but we, the intention is becomes the compass bearing for the qualities we want to develop in our lives. The attitudes. So, the attitude of kindness. Starting with ourselves. As we develop that with ourselves, then of course it naturally spills over to how we are with everything else. So that's why we do a lot of navel gazing in this practice. We don't really do navel gazing, but you know, people write off meditation navel gazing. Well, there's some navel gazing to it. You know, we, we're establishing an awake presence with this, because how I relate to this is how I relate to you and to you and to you and everything else. They're exactly the same. I can't deal with my own fears and inadequacies and loneliness and emptiness. Do you think I'm going to like yours? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) No, I'm going to go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's great. Mm." (laughs) But if we've done our work, then what do we feel? We feel compassion because we feel how painful it is to feel empty, to feel lost, to feel lonely, to feel whatever we feel. There's tenderness, there's connection, there's empathy. It's real. So I'll read one last poem, and then um, we'll do some practice. Actually, we'll take a short bathroom break and then do some practice. So this is a poem from Marie Howe called What the Living Do. So, uh, sometime before she wrote this poem, her brother Johnny took his life when he was 28, which is, as if you know people, where that's happened in the family, it's a very tragic thing. No, sorry, he didn't take his life. I'm going to take that back. He died of AIDS. Mm. Equally tragic. So, and she's talking about meeting herself, and it's a great metaphor for uh, this, this theme today. She says, Johnny, it's a brother, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the drainer won't work, but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up. 
waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again. The sky is a deep headstrong blue and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. This is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again. And later again, this is what the living do. Buying a hairbrush, this is it. Parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold. What you called that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not to call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, my chapped face and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. I am living, I remember you. There are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say, of the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, my chapped face and unbuttoned coat, that I'm speechless. I am living and I remember you. I love that, that last part of the poem, so touching. Because it's, she's speaking to the, the mess of our lives, right? The, the, the drain's blocked, the drainer doesn't work, the heating's stuck on, you know, in life, buying shampoo, car door shampoo. I mean, it's just, that's life. It's just stuff and messy and life. It's just what it is. And not necessarily so easy. And we, we long for the spring to come, and we, 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 we long for the winter to, to pass, the difficulty to pass, right? Very human. And then there's moments where she catches herself. And the heart's open. She sees, oh, yeah, there's a cherishing, yeah. So this practice brings a cherishing, self-cherishing, a cherishing of others, cherishing of life, cherishing of the moment. So, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.